0: It's the same I am that when he speaks, men are healed immediately by the the words of his voice. It's the same man who says, I am, that spoke to Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. And his whole body was not resuscitated, recreated, and came out and obeyed him. That is Jesus who is speaking here. And guess what happens? Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. The Greek literally intends for us to understand they were pinned to the ground. Think about that. They are anticipating hunting down a criminal, a vagabond, an itinerant teacher. And what they find is the great I am the king of kings, the lord of lords, the great lion of Judah. And when he speaks, they all back up and they fall to the ground, hundreds of them at the same time. There is no doubt of who he is. And there is no doubt who is in charge here. There is no doubt who has the authority. There is no doubt who has the power. It is not the imperial guards. It is not the chief priests. It is not the temple guards. It is Jesus who is in control. He is the one who has authority at this moment. And they fall to the ground. Just so they know. Just so they know. No one takes my life. John 10, but I freely give it. Verse 7. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they gathered themselves. It's almost comical. You almost picture someone almost raising their hand for permission to speak. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you give me, I have lost none, no one. And then Simon Peter, having the word drew it or having sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. So he's not trying to cut his ear off. he's trying to cut his head off and misses. And he cuts the servant's ear off, and the servant's name was Malchus. Now there's a reason John says, and the servant's name was Malchus, is to allow us to understand that this really happened. There's an eyewitness here. And what does Jesus do? So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now get this. When Jesus is doing this, he's not saying, Peter, put your sword away. You might get somebody hurt. I need to give myself up so they don't hurt anybody else. No. His response to Peter is, Peter, you still don't get it. Did I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? I'm doing this willingly. I'm submitting to the Father, not to these men. I, you know, and I think it's in Second uh, Kings where uh, it's either Elijah or Elisha, where there was a band of fifty. So the king, the the, um, the king wanted to to come and capture uh, the prophet, and the prophet's sitting on the wall. And, the, and there's fifty men that come, and they said, and he says the same thing. Who do you seek? Well, we're seeking the prophet. We're going to take him away, and he calls down fire, and they're consumed. Does that three times? Jesus had more power than the prophet. If Jesus had desired, he could call down the legions of God. Think about Elijah in, in Dothan when the Assyrian king is trying to hunt down the prophet who's given his plans away to the Israelite king, and, the, and he sends his armies down and. Elijah and his servants wake up one morning and the whole city is surrounded by an army. And the servant comes and says, Oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? And Elijah, and Elijah says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see what is real. The reality beyond the reality. And the, rea- the reality here is that there's over, well over 200 men that are going to come and, 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 uh, and capture Jesus. But then there's a reality behind the reality. And in Dothan, the, servant, the, the, the prophet says, open his eyes that he can see. And he opens the servant's eyes and there's a horde of heaven with chariots of fire all around. And he says, let him see what I see. Let him see the reality. And then the horde destroyed the king's army. It's no different here. And, and yet, he is not calling the armies, to come and destroy the cohort or the band. He withholds and says, I am stepping into the Father's will, not to these men's will. And think of the great mercy and grace of King Jesus even here. Even in this situation, Jesus' first response is not of his welfare, but the welfare of those around him. Both Peter... And the disciples, when he says, I told you I'm he, if you come from me, let them go. He's thinking of them, not himself. And then when Peter goes to strike the servant's ear off, we hear later, it is in another, in one of the other Gospels, where Jesus picks up the ear and he heals the servant. Even his enemies are blessed by his grace. In John 1.14, this is a great picture of, this, of, God, of Jesus demonstrating who He was. In John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus, even in this hour, is demonstrating grace. Grace to His men to protect them. Because they are his sheep. And even to restore and heal a servant of his enemies. What an incredible Savior we have. What an an incredible King we serve. That the righteous one who had the power to create, the righteous one who had the power to destroy was also the one who healed. He was also the one who touched the leper. He's also the one who was gentle to the a non-Jew woman. And he loved children. What an incredible picture of both the strength and majesty and power of Jesus and his incredible grace and mercy and gentleness. What a king we serve. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers and the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And first they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. He had, Annas had been uh, the high priest earlier in that century. And he had five sons and his son-in-law. And they, they took after him. He was deposed by the Romans earlier. Um, but first he goes to uh, Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that, if, uh, that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. How ironic. He did not understand. In verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since, the, since that disciple was known to the high priest, there um, most people think that that's John. When John is referring to himself, he says another disciple. So we are assuming that John was related to the high priest family and had the clout to be able to get into this, into this gathering. And he entered... Um, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. And so the other disciple, who was also known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl. And he kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You are—you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? It's a rhetorical question. Yes, aren't you the disciples? Aren't you one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Verse 18, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, because it's at night. All this is done in secret. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And the high priest questioned Jesus about the disciples and his teaching. He said, we want to know about your relationships and we want to know about your theology. And Jesus answered him and said, I've spoken openly to all the Jews or where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. I'm not saying anything in, in secret that I have not said publicly to any of you. Everything is out in the open. Everything is in the light. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me that, what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with the back of his hand, saying, is that how you, talk, or how you answer the high priest?" Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. If what I said is right, why do you strike me? Then Anna, sending bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, we're going to close this up soon. Jesus has entered into an illegal trial here. There are laws of the Sanhedrin. If you were to be brought to trial, it would be done in open not in secret during the day. Not in the dark. You were not to question. It was almost the same as our laws. You were not allowed to question the defendant. He, was not, he would not have to give testimony of himself. Usually what would happen, if there was a, an offense, they would bring the defendant in, and then first they would bring character witnesses that would vouch for his honesty and integrity. And then they would bring the witnesses that had something against him. And none of this is happening. Annas is bringing him to him at night with soldiers. And we find out through the other Gospels that he was beaten, he was slapped, he was humiliated, he was spit upon. Everything is illegal. Everything is in the dark. So think about Jesus' response to them. Jesus says, everything I've said. Everything I've done has been in the full light of day. Nothing has been in the dark. Nothing is in secret. Everything is in the light. And yet everything you're doing is in the dark, is in the secret. The irony of his response, he's simply saying, you're violating your own laws by what you're doing and heaping guilt on them. And yet we know the Scripture says in John three nineteen and 20, the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest the works should be exposed. Jesus is exposing the lies. Jesus is exposing the darkness. Everything that is good, everything that is noble, everything that is right is being demonstrated by Jesus. And yet those who love the darkness rather than the light hate the deeds of Jesus. He has completely fulfilled the law of God. Yet he has violated the traditions of man. That's why they are bringing him to trial. Not because he has broken God's law. But because he has been so arrogant to violate their traditions, that's why they hate him. Because he is challenging their authority in their kingdom, not God's. And it's all coming to light. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, so he's already denied Christ once. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servant's high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. In Matthew twenty-six seventeen he says, And then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know that man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Luke gives us insight that as he heard the rooster crow, Jesus turns his glance to Peter. And Peter remembered everything. He says he went out and he wept bitterly. But even in that, guys, the grace and the mercy of God through his son Jesus, when he was in the garden, and Jesus says, Peter, you've got to pray because Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. And he said something interesting. He says, so he's, he's asked to sift you like wheat, and guess what? You're going to deny me. He's already told him, you're going to be the traitor. You're going to be the betrayer. But what He also said in the garden was when you return, when you're restored, go and encourage your brothers. That even though Jesus knows that Peter will betray Him not once, not twice, but three times in the last cursings and and swearing, Jesus says, I'm going to restore you. And when you return, I want you to encourage your brothers. What a great picture of God's grace. That even in the midst of knowing of the betrayal, he gives mercy. So, how do we apply this? How do we take this passage and understand what God may want to change about us, know about Him. What difference does this make in us? First I would say is, after reading this, my desire for myself and for you would that we would have a clear picture of the majesty and the grace and the mercy and the authority and the power of Jesus. That we would be enamored by our great King who is no longer As he demonstrates here, the Lamb being led to the slaughter, willingly to have his throat cut for you and for me. He is no longer the Lamb. He is the Lion of Judah. Full of grace, full of power, full of glory, as we sang earlier. So my prayer for us is that we would be enamored by that great king. That we would be drawn to that great king. The other thing I think we need to understand is every single one of us in this room are either Peter or Judas. We are all betrayers. We are all traitors. We are all deniers. Every single one of us. None of us have clean hands. It drips with the blood and the guilt. That we put on Christ because of our rebellion. Our response to that is interesting because Judas, he was the betrayer. What was his response? He was remorseful and he went out and he hung himself. Peter was repentant and drew near to Christ. That's our response. When we betray, when we sin, when our hearts are rebellious, and we we have the response of either running away and trying to pay for it myself and being repelled by the grace and mercy of God, or I'm drawn to the Father who is gracious and merciful, even in my heinous sin. Are we drawing to him and saying, God, I'm broken. I am full of myself. I'm full of self-protection. I am full of self-survival. And yet, and that leads to death. And yet I come before you and I lay down. And I receive mercy and grace. What is our response to him? And then are we giving grace to others? Those that have experienced that kind of mercy. Those that have experienced that kind of power. Give their lives away. Because we take after our Savior. Our King. Seek first His kingdom. His righteousness. And all these things we seek would be given to us a hundredfold. We serve a great, great king. Let us worship him well. May we follow him well. May we live for his great kingdom in everything we do, in our homes, in our community, in our church, at our workplace. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us. We cannot imagine because we would never do the things that you do. Someone with as much authority and power as you have, you gave yourself willingly on our behalf. And Lord, we are overwhelmed by that. Lord, may it lead us to fall down at your feet, not in fear, but in gratitude and worship before you. Thank you, O oh Lord, all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.